don't be alarmed, but you're about to hear a conversation between three queer men of color. I don't identify that way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you do. Uh, all of this after the musical break. All right, guys. Thank you for joining me for Don't At Me. I am your host, Justin Simeon. You know what this is. And I like to talk to my favorite people in unfiltered ways. Chuck Hayward. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Justin. Okay, so Chuck is actually... Okay, I didn't write this, by the way, but I'm going to read this because it's funny. Um, (laughs) Chuck Hayward, who is actually my employee. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) We're just starting right out the gate. I'm here under duress. I've been forced. Uh (laughs) As a writer in the writer's room on Dear White People, but also, I mean, you're just a fantastic writer. Wrote two films, Fat Camp and Stepsisters. The latter is one of Netflix's biggest movies ever. I'm also here with Jared Hill, who is a politics and culture writer for outlets like The Hollywood Reporter, NBC News, Essence, The New York Times, a few little small publications. Never heard of them. And you also, I have to say, you also have the distinction of having one of the great, legendary, shady headlines ever. I'm referring to (laughs) the one that says... A laid-off TV reporter in Culver City Starbucks first uncovered borrowed passages in Melania Trump's speech. Thank you. You are the LA Trump Times. uncoverer. I is that that's what I have on my business card actually. That's <laughs> what I I don't know if that's a thing, but yes. I want to give you that distinction. <laughs> I mean, let's just get into it, guys. You know, the wonderful listeners that we have on this program, they're all over the place, especially because we are a KCRW podcast, which is awesome. Shout out to KCRW. Shout out to KCRW. Yes, music but and news. I they love all, it. You know, they don't know all of the things and, and, and sometimes need to be instructed and educated hmm. in some of the lingo coming out from the streets. I'm nervous. From the kids. Uh, so what does Don't At Me mean to you? I'm going to mm. start with you, Chuck. Don't and not at, my podcast, don't at, but just the yeah, phrase. The phrase "don't yeah. at me," which I actually learned from you. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> means, so it means uh, exactly what I've been saying. It means exactly <laughs> what you're saying. It means I'm about to say something that I fully believe in, that I think might come across as controversial. It might ruffle a feather, or perhaps two feathers, mm. but I don't give a shit wow. because this is something that needs to be said. Yeah. You remember, for a while, people were saying uh, unpopular opinion. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's what I yes. take. Uh, uh, don't at me to mean. It's like yes. I know you're going to feel a way about this, and that's fine. Yes. But I have to. Say Yeah. Yeah. My thing, too, is almost like, you know, it's like I'm asking because I know because the funny thing when you say don't at me like you are literally asking to be at it. It's like, guys, this is a very at worthy thing that I'm about to say. So prepare your pens and pencils for the think pieces. It's both a get ready and don't come for me. I didn't send for you. Totally don't come for me. At the same time. It's a very confusing sentiment. (laughs) On a deeper level, it's more it's about like don't don't be super reactionary and try to listen to my intention and my nuance. So even if on the surface what I'm saying offends you, just try to think about what am I going for maybe I, look, I'm not a gifted orator so perhaps I won't express myself exactly the way I want to I am or, or I am yeah. <laughs> listen listen we I all a, write for a living. And I you am can a still fan, not at yeah. me. I'm yeah. a fantastic orator, and yet and still, you know what it is for me. It's like I'm not. It, it's my way of saying I'm not interested in the knee jerk reactions. Like that's mm, yes. I don't yes. want the hot takes. I right. want the thoughtful. Y'all sat with this for yeah. a minute and think chewed piece on it. Think piece me. Don't add me. Yeah, because think piece has think in the word. Do they? Listen. But do they have think in the content? That's debatable, and it's a case by case basis. Well, listen. Say. There's a there's a controversy brewing amongst our people. Uh oh. Wesley Morris. Okay. <gasps> 
So, Wesley, I, this is a piece in the New York Times where he is talking about, so it, the piece is called The Morality Wars. In 2018, culture is being evaluated for its moral correctness more than for its quality. Wesley Morris, October 3rd, 2018. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm aware that this is airing probably two weeks after, but black people are catty and we continue to talk about yeah. things. <laughs> I'll still talk about it. Uh, but basically, he um, he talks about a, a scene, a scenario, where he is at a dinner party and he gasp does not live for insecure Mm -hmm. which first of all fighting words as we all know was he he asked to leave said dinner party i think he actually was and recounts (laughs) this and i think this kind of sums up the point of the article that he's writing where he says here we were two black men having it out about how to critique a black woman's art on one hand he was right Ray had labored to get a serious company to whisk her comedy and her blackface and body from the internet to television. She succeeded and people rejoiced. I was eating corn soup next to one of those people. First of all, Wesley, the writing is impeccable. Implicit in his rebuttal (laughs) was pride in the writing of a wrong. Even in the so-called golden age of TV with its proliferations of non-white people, queer folks, and women, some of whom are running productions, a comedy by and built around black women remains anomalous. So, Incure might be too rare. Incure. I said Incure. Incure? I was like, so. Yeah, it wasn't sure. I thought yes, it was a new phrase. It's a spinoff. Phrasing um, that Issa has made. No, it's Insecure. Sorry, <laughs> She works at a, at a hospital. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> She's out there curing She's cancer. She's out there curing yeah. folks. Yeah. 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 Issa and Molly in yeah. their like late 40s. It's, it's a like heavy a golden, show. It's really, it's, yeah. Yeah. it's a hard drama. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. sorry. So Insecure <laughs> might be too rare to dislike. Now listen, I'm friends with Issa. We are all in TV and film in some way or another. I'm not even going to go there, okay? (laughs) I'm just curious about what Wesley is saying because I don't think he's wrong in the sense of whether or not, however you feel specifically about the show, which, you know, I think is, personally, I'm, I'm excited that we all have these, like, totally different takes on young black people. And I just think it's delightful, frankly, all of the different, kinds of comedic voices however we don't almost as a rule that i appreciate almost we don't really come for each other like mm-hmm. we don't really like publicly attack other people's art but wesley is not a i mean he's in he's in the industry but he is i mean his job really is to sort of pick apart art um and you know i think he makes an interesting point now mind you there were other think pieces Mm -hmm. written at Wesley, Mm -hmm. basically saying some form of how dare you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How dare you come for Issa? How dare you you come for me and my life and my kids? (laughs) There was a lot of that sentiment going back. And I'm just curious where you guys stand on it, because I feel like we all struggle with this issue, generally speaking. I remember when I worked at CNN on Black in America 2, after the black and the first black in America came out and there was all of this backlash from black people like that is not my black experience that's not mm-hmm. what it's like for me to be black mm-hmm. and it was my first time really understanding the power of representation and i think that has a lot to do with why we're so anxious to say like uh i didn't love so and so's movie or cuz the repu- really... are, are like the we're not even repped properly we're exactly. not even there yet exactly yeah. Yeah. we're not at parity by any stretch of the imagination i mean there's a headline this this past week in the hollywood reporter saying that this was the first time that networks had more leads of color and diverse casts than predominantly white casts and that's mm. great. Mm-hmm. We'll see what that looks like in January. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, also because like peel that layer back. I mean, how many writers of color and directors of color are on these staffs? And this is important because if, you know, 
there are so many versions of that show with a diverse cast that doesn't work because it's not speaking to anybody. It's sort of people doing an impersonation as writers of how these people think and talk. And then the white people that are tuning in are like, well, where are the white people? Well, that <laughs> and like, and <laughs> I, no one I don't happy. see myself in this. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. I don't feel centered. Yeah. Right. This isn't for me. Black people are showing up. We're like, mm, we don't talk like that. Well, and exactly. then white people are like, there's, I, I need a white person to so, explain this yeah. to me. I right. was working on a, um, God bless you all. I was working on coverage of a bunch of different shows of color this year. And I, I covered a couple of shows for, you know, one place. And I, I, was watching the shows and like kind of seeing them coming together and like doing interviews. And then it, it occurred to me like these shows have black leads, but they center white people. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and I I don't want to get into the specifics of what those shows were, but like There's so many examples. I mean, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, you know, they're new shows or whatever. And it's like, yes, these are black people that are leading it, but it's about what happens when whiteness shows up. It was kind of alarming to me that it was like, oh, this is this is your black show, but like oh, it's about I see whiteness, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I feel like when you're black and honest, you get it from all sides, of course. And you know, dear white people certainly has its critics amongst the black community. I think that there was even like a big Atlantic article where they did like they basically just took all the black people in the staff and said, "What do you think of dear white people?" Nice. And you know, not you know, some people loved it, not every, you know, I think Tanahasi like said something nice and mm-hmm. other people really did not and it was a mixed bag, but it's sort of like what I've learned so far is that it's just past part and parcel of being in this industry. Is you just have to be willing or ready to hear it from both sides. Chuck, I feel like you also went through this with your last film. Yes, I did. And I think, um, actually, let me go back, you know, speaking in a broader context of the problem of it. And it's it's that we are a monolith, that black people all have one set of thoughts exactly. about one thing, one set of experiences about another thing. And I know we were saying, you know, Jerry, you're from the Bay Area. I'm from Delaware. Justin's from Houston. Like, just geographically, we have different experiences with blackness. And then I'm sure within that, there's socioeconomic differences there's, you know, just differences in family structure. There's differences in everything. So, like, there is not a black experience. There is not a black community. There are black experiences. There are there are the black communities within America. I think that what a lot of this diversity of thought is coming from is a is a great place. It's showing what we've been trying to say for mm-hmm. decades is that we are not. There's not one way to be black. Um, there's not one way to talk black. There's not one way to you know to dress black or whatever it is. Like, so I think. While it may feel like it's we're we're on shaky ground with that kind of thing, I think it's a really positive step forward. Now, mm-hmm. I would say when you are critiquing somebody that is you know within a very w- within the black space because we do have very limited representation, I think maybe don't go for throats. I would mm-hmm. say like mm-hmm. there's a way to give constructive criticism. Like I, there was a, a woman who I was talking to on Facebook who was you know saying like. I didn't, you know, she started off real hot. Like, she started off kind of like, this is some bullshit. Talking about, okay, so specifically talking about your movie, about right? About Stepsisters, Stepsisters, yeah, I'm sorry, which, which is about... Oh, no, 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 I just want to break, you know, so Stepsisters is a movie that Chuck wrote and I happen to think is f- hilarious. Thank you. But it involves a black woman at a predominantly white college who is a part of a black fraternity. I'm sorry, black sorry. sorority. Whoa, okay. <laughs> Let me stop those think pieces. Had a black, <laughs> had a black sorority, and she teaches um, girls from a white sorority how to step. I think I have a way to save your charter and get you reinstated. You would compete in a charity step show. I'm an excellent country line dancer. That surprises no one. Stepping requires an extraordinary amount of discipline. We don't drink during the week. Calm down. Get your flat asses in here! 
I got to see what I'm working with. And premise alone, people were... People were not having arms. it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I think that the uh, the trailer that was released didn't necessarily address the, you know, real, the, like the, the core issue of the movie. But they were like, oh, this is cultural appropriation. This is bullshit. And I was like, yeah, no, it's about cultural appropriation. It's a satire of cultural appropriation. It's a conversation about that very, you know, specific topic. And, you know, and, and it was also, it was produced by Lena Waithe and uh, Ben Corey Jones, who's a writer mm-hmm. on Insecure. And like, so we have a, a bunch of different Person angles, on, angles on it, perspectives, and the director Charles Stone is, you know, guy. He's from Philly, like he, you know, like the, we we all have different experiences coming into it, and so anyway, the, the woman who was who was kind of coming at me, and I and I engaged with her because I was like, I I'm actually really interested as an artist. I'm interested to hear like how are people receiving what I'm putting out there, and is it being received in the way that I intend it? Right, and that's re- that's one of the most frustrating things as a writer, where you're like, I intended to say X, and I've Pretty damn sure I said it clearly, but if people aren't getting what I'm putting out there, then I need to be clearer in the way that I represent my opinions. But you know what? That is true. But also, satire to me is a real cultural test. Because I think what Wesley is talking about, above and beyond his particular take on Insecure or whatever it might be, is the fact that like discussion around black art tends to just be political. Like, you know, the there was no... In a satire, people do absurd things, and they do that in satire so that you can examine why people do those things, what are the consequences, mm-hmm. et cetera. It's not meant to be like, hey, everybody, watch this movie and does what, do what the lead Here character does. Here are the instructions does. for yeah. life. No, yeah, no, yeah. nobody's that's, saying that. That's not, how, that's not how satires function, and I think a, a lot of conversation around your movie and also Dear White People often is political. Like It's very political, yeah. And, and I think that, that that does a disservice to satire. Because so, that's not how satire is supposed to be. That's not how satire is meant to be consumed. So I'm I'm kind of dealing with this right now because I'm I'm now starting into narrative. Like I've been writing for 18 years, but mm-hmm. like as a journalist, right? And like a lot of my friends write in narrative, and I've always thought that was something I couldn't do. But I've been doing it all summer, work developing this pilot. And so it's interesting because we have so much conversation around representation mm-hmm. when we're developing characters and figuring out storylines yes. and wanting to make sure that we're not perpetuating a stereotype. And, well, can that person really have that kind of idea? What is it going to say? And how what are we saying? What are we saying as a show exactly. if they say that or do that? Right. right. And then, like, also thinking of, like, the unintended consequences of storylines. Are, are people going to think that we're trying to say X? Do yeah. we have enough representation of these kinds of women and that kind of thing? And I always think about when I'm producing something or whatever, is like, is there a diversity of skin tone is there a diversity yeah. of yeah. of of, uh, of sexual orientation is there even when I worked on a show for THR, we had a political show and we were always trying to have commentators come on and talk about the presidential debates and I had some pushback for them sometimes and I was like do we only have white dudes that can talk about politics mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, I actually mm-hmm. have a really dope black girl that can come in and talk about this or there's a you know a really cool black person that can come in or an right. Asian person you know and I think we're always thinking about representation in that way but then when we Unlike see something those uncool black people <laughs> <laughs> don't bring them in I don't want the uncool nobody guy. wants to hear from <laughs> right yeah. but like I think I think being I have a this somewhat dope black chick that can come in and talk <laughs> she, but she's not amazing. she's dope adjacent <laughs> yeah she's passable know, she's really, actually yeah. dope But I think as creators of color, it's something that we're always thinking about how to make sure that we accurately and diversely represent things. But also, like, 
what is the consequence of of touching on X Y Z issues? So. Well, but and and we always say like those issues that make us a little uncomfortable. Those are the ones that we should probably pursue because yeah. those are the ones that are like that will elicit the the biggest response from people, and they won't be always be positive. It responses, won't always. And, and people but, sometimes will take. Because, I mean, the thing is, a good satire is supposed to make you feel some type of way. A little uncomfortable, yeah. And not to make it about me again. <laughs> but Please, like, Justin. But I think that, but I actually do think, like, satire is, I think satire, honestly, is one of the greatest artistic weapons that we have that underrepresented people have. Because it's like a Trojan horse. Yes. You, you tell this story that appears so well said. to be one thing, in, you know, in one light. But then once you get people in the theater to watch it or, you know, around the Netflix account or whatever it may be, you kind of surprise them with this critique of them. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like, you know, it's the way that lots of hidden, coded, revolutionary ideas have made their way in, you know, to plays and stories throughout human history is satire. And I I do kind of hate that we're in this intersection where it, it is so people interpret these things like PSAs. Well, you, you know, uh, Sam ends up with a white guy. Therefore, all black women should up with white people. Of course not. You know? Sam's also biraceal, so white that she's not dating exactly. interracially. It's meant to. It's meant to point out that these things are big deals. Right. So I I just did um, this thing called Masterclass with Shonda Rhimes, and she's talking oh. about screenwriting and how to oh, yeah, yeah. do your whole thing or whatever. And she said this interesting thing about comparing Scandal to The West Wing. Mm. And she was saying Scandal came out at a time where everyone felt really good about the presidency and mm. Barack Obama's president. So it was okay to like go in and have like this ugly story of the White House, right? Mm -hmm. Which was kind of transposed for the West Wing in, in the era that that came out. And she was saying like, people have an easier time accepting kind of like the opposite. But like if we were to do a show right now where the, the White House was completely fucked up, people might not feel as comfortable with it. It's too close we, to home. Because it's too close to home. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I say all that to say, I was talking with a friend recently about how I was watching The Office and 30 Rock over the last couple of years and wondering if they would work now. Um, because I feel like if if The Office was airing on television right now, I think people would be really pissed about it. Really, in I think what people, way? I think people would be really offended because because The Office takes like a a real thing and makes fun of it, right? So uh -huh. like Michael Scott's like actually exists. Oh, right? yeah, that's you know most what I mean. People's and boss. it like and it looks at him, right. <laughs> yeah. and it looks at him and it's like you're crazy. Mm -hmm. Whereas Thirty Rock could work right now because 30 Rock is kind of a parody of itself. Yes. Mm. And it says like, isn't this crazy guys? And like makes fun of itself. Mm -hmm. Whereas Michael Scott is like taking a real thing where real people kind of identify with that right now. So and you a lot think, of them so voted you, for the president. So, so you're saying like white men would feel attacked yeah, by I the office. So. I think, I think, I think the Trump supporting audience would feel a way about the like office that's a if liberal right takedown of the white man or something in in the climate that we're in now. Interesting. Mad Men came out in a time when there was a lot of conversation amongst white people about the good old days and taking our country back yeah. to this time that Mad Men kind of represented. Yeah. It was a brilliant show and did like a lot of really great things, right? But and those I don't people think it was weren't a watching Mad Men, <laughs> unfortunately. No, 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 yeah, but it also Probably showed how back when America was quote unquote great in that people were terrible. They were terrible to each Absolutely. other. They were terrible to their wives they were terrible to women in general just across that board in, in well, the entire we, series we were having this discussion in the writers room the other day just about how depressed we all were about mm -hmm. you know the state of the world uh i don't depending on when this airs you know brett kavanaugh may or may or not be on the supreme court at this time but you know it's been happening all week for us and i remember saying you know 
the one thing the uh, Baldwin always has a quote, but you know he talks <laughs> about you think you're alone in all the world until you read. And what he's saying is just look back at history. It was always worse. Mm-hmm. It's almost yeah. always worse. It's, I don't understand how they don't see that. Like how, if like, you look at yeah, if you look at the '60s or the '50s, it, it was worse. Yes, for which everybody. Is, which is why Make America Great Again mm-hmm. is so troubling. It's right? so okay. But wait, can I wait, say wait. it was better for white? Middle class people. Exactly. Yes. So, and, and Angela Rye just posted um, herself yeah. on CNN talking about this. Like, whenever I hear "Make America Great Again," and I think Black people, I think I think all minority and marginalized groups hear "Again" with like a ringing oh, bell. Oh yeah, it's a it's, it's a, a dog, dog whistle. whistle. Yeah, if and it's like anything ever was. Whoa, 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 whoa! When was America great? When because was it great? You remember... Five years ago, I couldn't get married. Yeah, you right. know what I mean. Yeah. Like, America was great after World War II. Right when white people, maybe before World, it was, it was it certainly started before what World War II. But all of these social programs, which went to helping people buy houses, helping people own land, helping people raise crops, all of that helping was helping people. All like of that—that that was the—that uh, was the, the vibe that, of the time. But all of that stuff existed. It was just for white people. Yeah, exactly. You couldn't get access to it if you were a woman or you were black or Asian or something other than a white man. Yeah. And so when they talk about making America great again, that is what they're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Let's exactly. take all the welfare programs. Let's keep them, but, but let's just give them to them. us. Yeah. Which which completely <laughs> ignores the fact that like Other white people, people use too. those social programs more than anyone else, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like of course. welfare is utilized by white Americans more than by yeah. black Americans. Affirmative or, action helps white women more than any other group, et exactly. cetera. You exactly. Know? But it's sold, like Republicans do a really good job of messaging, it's sold as a program that only helps black people, mm-hmm. or welfare or affirmative action or whatever, what have you. So like when we talk about again, it's like, yeah, I couldn't get married and then go back a little bit further. Women couldn't vote. Black people couldn't vote. Black people couldn't go to schools with white people. Black people and white people couldn't get married. Like, how far back do you want to go? Black yeah. people couldn't buy houses in certain areas. Exactly. Like they wouldn't, they, it yeah. just wasn't allowed. It's yeah. a mytholo- And it's also a mythological America. Because yes. absolutely. Even, yes. even in those situations, the reason why all of these white people were receiving help is because everyone was poor mm. and everybody was still reeling from the Great Depression. And like, it, we need, like, it was bad, real bad yeah. for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, this was like, like the this was like the second best you know what i mean this is like the only solution they had was let's give these people some money and help them out mm-hmm. so like even this ironic- even this mythological great thing was not fantastic right, <laughs> right, right, right. But, but the ironic thing is is that mentality that was that existed back then is great like america is a family like take care of the family but it, you have to include everyone when you do that in the family if it, yeah everyone in the family like if you you know you can't you know give one kid everything in the in the, in the entire world possible give them all the uh, opportunities and then the other kid you just let them fend for themselves like you like you, if, and if then you, wonder why the kid is spoiled and wonder why the kid is spoiled and then wonder why the other kid may not be doing so great or may have some you and know you do mental health like you, issues because they been treated you know so badly for so long and you do a thing like you wage a war on drugs at a time when crack is devastating black mm. communities but it's a crisis it's an epidemic when, when, now. when drugs are ravaging white communities there's mm. no war being waged on these no. white women who are you know getting high on opioids and heroin right. there's well, no war being waged on these people that and like uh, i always whenever i hear about the opioid, opioid epidemic i think about that and i think about how weed is slowly becoming more and more legal Mm. and like on one side of a state line there's a white man who's opening up stores and making tons of money and on the other side of that state line there's a black man who's sitting in prison for having a bag correct you know what i mean and like that is that is still nuts to me yeah it is but whenever people talk about like america's broken america doesn't work america i'm like no 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 
this shit is working exactly how it how was designed. Yes, it. Like, it this is, is this is thing. how this was supposed to work. That's the thing. It, it, you're right. America is working the way it was designed to work, and then there's some of us who've been working for towards a different America. Mm-hmm. And when those two Americas come to a head, I mean, that's really where a lot of this animus comes from. And yeah, of course, it was stoked by Russia. Uh, we can't, we, I mean, we really can't forget that because we keep scratching our heads like, why is this the most divisive time in history? Mm. Well, what's different? What has yeah. changed? You yeah, know? I mean, it's not, somebody it's not put a, a turd in our punch bowl. Yeah. I don't even remember how we got here, but it needed to be got. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am talking with the fabulous Jared Hill, uh, writer, culture producer. I don't know. What are you? You're a storyteller. How do you with put, that. How do you what is your... the Trump title you gave me earlier? Trump ex- exposer? Oh, exposer, Trump exposer, yeah. Something Trump, like Trump uncoverer. Uncoverer, yeah. Yes, yes, Trump yes. uncoverer. I'm and having new Chuck cards. Hayward, fabulous Hollywood gayman. Um, <laughs> adjusted. We'll be right back after a short break. On the newest episode of Nocturne, KCRW's podcast about the night. Can you hear that? Can you hear the hum? I woke her up and I said to the wife, can you hear this noise? And she's like, what noise? And she couldn't hear it. It's like a truck engine idling. And when you open the door to see that truck, it's not there. All over the world, people are kept awake by a low-frequency sound with no explanation. That's on the latest Nocturne, wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I, I think this topic is really interesting because, uh, you know, before the break, we, we were talking about is are, are we at a time where it's OK to critique black work um, on artistic merits or is the politics of it all more important? And I think that led us into a very important conversation about America in general. But just to return, you know, to the previous topic. You talked a lot about, Jared, about when you're putting things together, particularly casting. One of the things that's in your mind is, is always representation. Do mm-hmm. we have a the right skin tones, et cetera? And as a filmmaker, I've come up where you do have to actually make a choice between the right skin tone and the right actor. This has literally happened to me so many times when I'm looking at, you know, what am I saying about what is beautiful? And I, and I want women and men of all different skin tones and looks and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day... You know, if you're in a situation where you're three leads, you know, there's three light-skinned, amazing people for those leads. What do you pick? Mm-hmm. Which one do you pick, mm-hmm. Jared? None of them. I go out and I find a white woman. Great. <laughs> yeah. That seems to be that's the... A, I think that's a good solution. I mean, it's worked for a long time. Yeah. Find a white woman. <laughs> By the way, I, I didn't even specify gender. He was like, I want one white woman to represent Listen, these three characters. You get, you get you an upset white woman and you can get anything you need. But truly, yeah, though, yeah. what do you do? I mean, I mean, it's difficult. I think you do have to end up just making a choice, right? So, but, and, but what, what, what wins out? Now, and you don't have to give me anything specifically, but like, is it the right, the right performance or the right political, politically correct? I think it has to be what's going to be right for the work. So if it's mm. the right perform, if the performer is better, mm-hmm. they're going to have to be the one that comes on. Right. And for me, like, if we have like a panel of people or whatever, like, who's going to help us with the conversation, mm-hmm. right? Who's going to move the conversation into the direction that it needs to go? I feel like a lot of the work that I have done over the years has been about starting conversations or facilitating conversation. And like, you know, when you bring certain person, I say a certain person into a conversation, you kind of have a feeling of like where that conversation is going to go. 
and how it can feel and what it might say to people. And I think ultimately you have to go with what's going to give you the content that's going to achieve the goal. So you want to bring down black people. Absolutely. Great. <laughs> yeah. Chuck, what is your take on the same <laughs> question? Yeah. Like if you have to choose, you know, between the politically correct thing to then politically correct not in the derogatory yeah. way in the actual real way like mm. what is politically most expedient for the things that we face today versus you know the quote-unquote right yeah i mean listen obviously or thing I, it, or I think it's it's degrees like you 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 obviously want to pr- pr- present um, the most diverse perspective you can in skin tone and sexual orientation that kind of thing but at the end of the day like you have to like you said you have to deliver the best product that you possibly can because you would like to maybe work again in the mm-hmm, future mm-hmm. and if you're turning in substandard work it's not going to be great so i think you you go for and, and you find the best person who fits whatever is the diverse uh, setting you know what i mean if you need if you need a uh, darker skin person you you don't just meet one darker skin person and be like mm-hmm. oh they didn't do well so we'll mm-hmm. give it to a light skin person yeah. you have to bring in a lot of different darker skin people but and, by the and way, i have to say man that takes resources like oh my the, god the thing that like the the real 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 of it all and and i talked to ava about this and i she really goes out of her way to I make sure to ava about this just... well on the cast <laughs> in the same way that i'm talking to you two on the podcast I ava i'm like, i'm i'm <laughs> pimping out a previous episode okay Okay. Yes. <laughs> I heard it. I heard it too. Shout out to Ava. Uh, anyway, but like she really walks that particular walk and making sure that uh, on every level her crews are diverse. You know, I found myself in situations where it's like, okay, well, you got a week to pull this, uh, your department heads together, mm-hmm. and these are the candidates. <laughs> and at the <laughs> yeah. end of that week, you got to have the answer. Right. I don't, I, I, I have not yet ascended in my career to the point where like I can blow up each of those situations and go, no, we got to keep looking. You know, sometimes I can do that. Sometimes I can't. Yeah. And the only reason I bring that up is because, you know, I've really, I've noticed that some people that's the, that is at the top of the agenda. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the art is second actually to the political expediency of the choices. And, and there's an audience for that. I mean, I have seen, and this is literally no shade because I will not mention a scrap of what I'm talking about, but I have seen people talking about content that is not good at all. Mm. Like, just not good, not entertaining, not well-crafted. And publicly lauding it. But like, publicly lauding it because of its, it represents this, and it represents that, and it does this, and it does that. And I, I as a grumpy 30-something... You know, and these tend to be younger, you know, people in their early 20s. I I don't like that. I I just, I, I really, I, cause I love the art of it so much that I want, I want all of our work to be both representative and good. Good. And even if you can't fill those roles in the lead roles, like you can fill them with in supporting roles of people that are more diverse. I just hate when, when I hear people who are like, you know, I'm darker skinned and I just never saw anybody that looked like me on television or in movies when I grew up. You hate those people. No, I hate. <laughs> you you hate what when the pe- hell are they complaining about? You hate you hate that people I, feel that way. Yeah, I hate it's... that people have to feel that way. I hate not not seeing you know having grown up and never seeing like representations of gay people mm-hmm. um, being you know in a relationship, not just being like popping in with a one liner and that kind of thing. Like I hate that you have to feel like you're on this island. Like mm-hmm. you were saying with Baldwin's quote, like feeling like you were the only one, and like the internet age has sort of helped that a little bit. But mm-hmm. like seeing stories be told about you is is important. I think for you to feel like you're a citizen of the world. Absolutely, but I also yes, that is true. But it's all it's like the it's almost like the 
Maslow uh, hierarchy, hierarchy of, of needs. needs. It's like, yeah, representation is important, but also like there is something to be said about the quality. You know, there's a difference between eating at McDonald's and eating, you know, at Red Lobster and eating, <laughs> you know, at a fancy steakhouse. Right. Like there, there are degrees, and they all provide calories. They all provide energy. They all help you live and survive. But there is something to developing the taste of an audience. And the reason I say that is not in a sort of bougie way, but it's just, it's more fun. It's just more, I get more pleasure out of really well-crafted stories than I do, than I did when all I knew was, you know, what everybody else was into. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's like, I don't want I don't want I don't want black folks to miss that. I I don't want us to be deprived of the power of really bold fuck with you in the head storytelling, you know, because the representation issue keeps us from getting into it. Well, and and I think that, and I, that and, that's and, and it, you're right, it doesn't have to be a choice. Sometimes it it becomes one, unfortunately. And and that's why when you are if you're criticizing a, a black piece of art in public, like you can use constructive criticism you don't like you don't have to necessarily you can say like hey i would have loved to see if they would have gone a little bit deeper in this topic that they brought up that i felt like they glossed over like Mm. or like you know just maybe maybe think more about blah 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 versus like i just didn't like this it was bullshit like Mm -hmm. like that that really that elevates if if the creator of that art piece is, is open and receptive to hearing that and being like, oh, maybe there's something there that I didn't quite nail. Mm-hmm. And then they can do that in the future. And then everybody's nobody art does writes, elevate. Nobody writes that way. Like, no, everyone's just like, you are destroying the black <laughs> well, community and because that's, we're ruined because of this. That's yeah. the, <laughs> honestly, that's the Twitter culture. Like, you have, yeah, you used is. to have 140 characters to get your very complex point across. And so it gets watered down into the most hateful ways of, of expressing <laughs> it. And you don't get a chance to be constructive and you don't get a chance to like help people move and then because of the 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 vitriol level of the rhetoric that you're spewing out there whoever's receiving it who could be taking that note is instantly defensive instantly sees you as a hater blocks you and then there's no conversation there's no growth yeah i mean well i think we have to wrap it up unfortunately um But before we go to our last little segment here, I just want to say shout out to Issa and Wesley because, truthfully, they're two black folks who's I truly like absorb both of their works yeah. and both everything. A lot of what Wesley writes and obviously a lot of what Issa writes um, have certainly fed my soul, and I think they're both great. And I feel like hopefully we will get to the point where we can actually like talk about critique work mm-hmm. without it being shade or without it yeah. being politically destructive or or triggering you know it's like we can i add one I, more point into yeah. that I, I also think that we as consumers like when we're looking at the product we need to be introspective and see is am i coming into this with some inherent bias that is affecting the way i'm receiving this work mm-hmm. and, asking and a lot of people i know i'm yeah, asking a lot of are. people get on your therapist couch y'all <laughs> and figure out like yeah. it, it, am i do i hate this character because it reminds me of my dad who i have an issue with mm. or whatever like or what? and also this this thing makes me this 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 piece fills me with a lot of anxiety mm. does that mean the piece is bad no not always no. sometimes is it about that, me or is it about the movie yeah because right. sometimes a movie will send you into the world chewing on something that you know what you needed to chew <laughs> On, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, last moment here. Do you guys have any don't at me to get off your chest? Any unpopular opinions? Any things that you want to talk about? That's grinding your gears <laughs> this week. All of Jared eyes tell me there are several topics I on know, his chest. No, I, mean, I, I I can stay on topic for what we've been talking about. I spent 
most of season two and three really upset with Issa. <laughs> as, a, as a character. Issa D, not Issa Rae. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I spent most of season two and season three really, really frustrated with that character. Like, get it together. Mm, yep. uh, frustrated, like, watching her go through um, Nathan's room, or <laughs> Nanceford, um, watching her go through his stuff, like, making all these bad choices, and, like, I felt like everyone's like, oh my god, I love her so much. I was like, I'm mad at that girl. Yeah. Like, I don't <laughs> like her. Um, but, like, I love the show, and I, I, what I love about the show is feeling like I know all these people. Yeah. And I mean, oddly, you do know well, yeah, all we, these yeah, people. But like, but also, like, you know these characters, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like these people talk the way that my people friends talk. and I talk, right? But like, I spent a lot of season two and a lot of season three really upset with Issa and being like, I need you to get your shit together. It's, it's great to see a show evolve in a positive because some shows fall apart yeah. after a couple years and and this one for me is is getting richer chuck do you have any don't at me's i do have a don't at me and, and it's it's kind of a weird like bleeding heart sort Ooh, of thing yes. uh, Tell us. But should we get I, some music some soft uh, jazz yeah can you please <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, no, so I had a thought the other day where I was just kind of like uh, the thought of privilege. You were trash. <laughs> I can't do this. this is what he was doing. This on my is show. what he was doing. <laughs> this is what, what and then brought, it gave birth like a to the theme exactly. song. Yeah, right, exactly. right, right. Okay, the producer is looking at us. Get, tell me yes, the note that we have to leave. Yes. I, I had a thought the other day about uh, in this whole Kavanaugh time, and we we're talking about privilege, and it was just kind of like you have to understand that if you are not a like dark skinned. Uh, black woman with a disability who is queer okay. and who is who <laughs> is impoverished and mm-hmm. a veteran, you are experiencing some level of privilege in this society. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that you haven't earned what you've gotten. It doesn't mean that you're not talented or you're not capable, but you have to acknowledge that the road has been a little bit more, smoother better, for smoother for you than it has for a lot of other people. So like you have to, it's a challenge, but you have to use whatever privilege you do have and just kind of make it so that it's not so rough on other people who don't mm-hmm. have that same privilege. You're saying basically because, you know, even as Gay Blackman. <laughs> yeah, yes, you Blaze. Um, Blaze. As Blaze, we are we are obviously like, you know, oppressed and marginalized in a bunch of ways, but we have male privilege and yeah. we have, you know, socioeconomic Light skin privilege yeah, to a degree. Yeah. That's that's a really good point because a lot of us are not willing to acknowledge no. our little privileges yeah. because we are so focused on the ones we don't have. And there's always somebody worse. Absolutely. Always, not always, but there's probably a group of people worse off than you. Absolutely. Yeah. Shout out to that. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. This has really been a treat. Um, yeah, it's been fun. Thank I you. I do feel like the gay Holy Spirit has been with us. Uh, <laughs> you mean Beyonce? Yeah. I think she's. I think we've all felt her presence today. So thank you guys I so agree. much for coming. Of course. Thank you for having us. All right. Where can people find you, Chuck? On the internet. Oh, dear. You can find me not tweeting at Chuck Off. Uh, you can find me not posting on Instagram at Zero Chucks. And uh, I'm on the Facebook, too, but I don't do that either really right. often. So you so, can't find Chuck yeah. anywhere. <laughs> right. But and it's thank better. you for he, those yeah. usernames, I guess. <laughs> uh, Jared, where can... we got here, I told him, I was like, I still have a pending friend request for you on Facebook. Was, <laughs> He's right. like, what's Facebook? Exactly. <laughs> I, I rectified that egregious violation moments ago. So Noted. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you can find me everywhere at Jarrett Hill, two mm-hmm. R's and two T's, Jarrett, J-A-R-R-E-T-T. H-I-L-L. Well, I have to thank my guests Chuck Hayward and Jared Hill for sitting down with me on this shady-ass Saturday. Uh, <laughs> our producers, Gina Delvac and Kara Hart. Our production engineers, Garrett Lang and Ray Warner. Special thanks to Vishnu Vallabhaneni. Head of programming, Quinn O'Toole. Chris Bowers created our theme song. This is Don't At Me with Justin Simeon. If you like the show... 
ignore the title, at Attaway, <laughs> or think it's me, or leave comments. I don't care. Just subscribe, please, for the love of God. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave a review. I'd love to hear from you. Don't at me from the one and only KCRW.